Hey friends, welcome back to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert, and I am so glad that you're here. This show is a safe place you can come to hear relevant, engaging, and authentic topics to help you get real, live free, and pursue your God-given dreams. Today's guest, Dave Willis, spent 13 years as a full-time pastor and is now a speaker, author, relationship coach, television host for Marriage Today, and co-host of the Naked Marriage Podcast with his wife, Ashley. You might remember Ashley from episode 38, where we talked about having a naked marriage. It was a good one, so definitely go check it out if you have not listened to it. Dave and Ashley have four young sons and live in Keller, Texas. And today I'm chatting with Dave about his latest book, Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. But before I introduce you to Dave, I want to remind you that as a Real Talk with Rachel listener, you can use code REALTALKRACHEL for 10% off your order now through March 31st to cultivate what matters. Just be sure to use the link in today's show notes to redeem that special offer. All right, let's jump into the very real and relevant conversation I had with Dave Willis about raising boys who respect girls. Well, hello, Dave. Welcome to the show. Hey, good to hear from you, Rachel. Thank you for having me on. We're huge fans. We love what you're doing. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So for those of you listening, you have heard from Dave's wife, Ashley, on the episode I recorded with her. Um, the title of that was actually their book name and their podcast name, The Naked Marriage. It has been one of my most downloaded episodes. So if you're not one of those people who have downloaded that one, for sure, go back and listen to it so you can get to know Dave's wife, Ashley, as well. Before we get into what we're going to talk about today with you, Dave, I something I like to do with my guests, I in the beginning, I read your pretty professional bio. But then whenever I come and talk to you, I'm like, all right, what's something we wouldn't read on your bio? Oh, wow. Well, there's so much like, for sure, like, Ashley is the most impressive part of my bio. So you've if you've heard her interview, I feel like this is an anti-climax. She is the smart, beautiful, amazing one in the relationship. We try to do lots of adventures. We love to as a family, we love to travel and take road trips. We've got a little dog named Chi Chi who's a Chihuahua, which means she's half Chihuahua, half wiener dog. So she's this cute, long, little, precious cuddler. And uh, she's kind of the mascot of the family. And we've got a sticker that looks like her on the back of our van to help pick out our van and, and parking lots when we can't remember where we parked. So yeah, there's all kinds of random facts about the Willis family. You listen, if you listen to the Naked Marriage <laughs> podcast very long, you, you'll hear all kinds of, of those quirky stories. Oh, I love it. Yes. And if you guys have not checked out their podcast, do that right now. It's such a good, well, not right now. Let's listen to this one first. Right. And then then you right can go to second. theirs. Yeah. But it's such a great podcast. I love listening. You know, one of my favorite things about you guys is seeing two people who are actually doing the same thing, like in the blogging world and now marriage world and communicating that just... It lights my heart on fire because my husband and I are very passionate about marriage as well. We don't have a marriage ministry, but we just love it. I'm kind of curious. This I did not have this question planned, but how did you two get started in this whole online space together? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, we, we didn't really plan for this. God's plan is always something different than, and better than, than any of us could ever dream up on our own. I was in pastoral ministry for years, and so I was serving at a church, and just realizing, man, so many of the prayer requests, so many of the issues that people are facing in our church have to do with marriage. And then realizing a lot of our friends were going through marriage struggles, and Ashley and I both just kind of had a burden for it. And so years ago, just out of wanting to help and not knowing where to start, we didn't really have a budget. We didn't have 
any kind of dream of launching some huge ministry. We just wanted to to be a small part of the solution. We started a Facebook page, just called it Marriage, because I couldn't think of a more creative title. I just wanted it to be clear. And from that Facebook page and, and our church where we were serving, everything else happened. You know, we didn't plan to to blog and speak and write and do videos and other things, but it, little by little, God opened up those doors just from kind of taking that first step of faith and saying, well, let's start something. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because that's kind of how I got started in the online space. When people ask me that same question 10 years ago now, my husband and I bought a business and it was been the hardest, but also the most fruitful thing that we've done in our life. I remember we were just in a tough season and God told me, start a group where wives are just praying for their husbands. And so I did that on Facebook as well. And within the first few days, like 500 women joined, then another thousand. It it just kind of kept spiraling. And that was the first moment I realized how powerful social media is and blogging and all that. So it just kind of opened up that door. So obviously everybody listening today doesn't necessarily feel called to be online or do that kind of thing. But the thing that I love about your story is just that obedience, you know, that wherever God's telling you to step out in faith, that just, okay, I don't, I love that you named it marriage. Like you had not have a creative name. So marriage, that's (laughs) cool. Yeah. (laughs) And so now here we are. So how long ago has that been? Do you know? That has been about eight years ago. Eight years ago. That that, that started. Yeah. And for those first couple of years of that, like it was kind of just the Facebook page. There wasn't a lot else going on. And then the blogging started and then we started doing live events and started making videos and just little by little, God kept opening doors. Yeah, that's so cool. So now here we are, eight years later, talking about your latest book called Raising Boys Who Respect Girls. Can you tell us a little bit about that, where that came from? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that just came from, you know, my heart as a dad, just kind of like the marriage ministry was born out of this burden of seeing so many people I loved and cared about who were struggling in their marriage. This kind of came out of my my burden and my love for my four sons growing up in a world where between all the news stories and all the mixed messages that our society's throwing out there about important messages like sex and relationships and about manhood and what that really means. I just so wanted to get this message right. I wanted my boys to grow up knowing that God had created them to be courageous men of integrity and honor and that, you know, masculinity, manhood is a gift from God. It's, it's It's not something that's inherently toxic or bad. It's a good thing. But when it's misused, like a lot of men in our society are misusing it, not only are women being hurt, but the men themselves are being hurt because it's a misuse of, of God's design. And so, you know, Ashley Niner talks about what we want our, our boys to be. What's our hope and dream and prayer for them? And we realize, you know, if we if we raise boys who are outwardly successful in every visible way, you know, they have good grades and they have good jobs and all that. But behind the scenes or even in their own mind or their own heart, they're they're disrespectful to women or they're users of women then I feel like we will have failed as parents to not have given them this this core foundational aspect of what it means to to be a, a good man. And that's so important, even leading into the marriage work we do, to help them be good husbands and fathers someday. It really starts, it starts in childhood with learning the right lessons about what relationships are and and you know, teaching my boys to respect their mother as as you know, one day they'll respect their own wives. So it started with that and then it just kind of grew from there into well what would that message be for you know everybody's sons and how could I spread this message farther than our own home and and help other families do the same thing 
Yeah. Well, as a mother of, I have one son, I, we're very grateful that you guys have taken the time and the effort to research this topic and just step out and do this. I'm curious, how did your four boys affect the actual writing of the book and the direction it took? They were a huge, huge part of it before I even knew the book was going to happen. Just in questions that I asked, just in my time with them, just in hearing the stories of what they were experiencing at school and the questions that they had and the way that they were interacting with the world around them and the way they're responding to like just the over sexualization of like everything happening around us all the time watching them try to navigate that and me trying to help protect them and guide them through that was really the catalyst for the you know the book happening at all it was in part out of a desperation on my part of like i've got to figure this out like i've got to figure out how to protect them, how to teach them, what that right message is, how to engage with them with the unique challenges they're facing that didn't exist a generation ago. And so each of the four of them, there are a lot of stories in the book that that were inspired by real life experiences or real life questions that they had. Yeah, that's so good. That's what that was probably one of my favorite parts of the book. What were those stories and how you just incorporated things that your sons like right now in today's age were encountering. And I know it's really the same stuff a lot of our sons are encountering. You just put a voice to it. So what would you say some of the wake up calls you actually talked about wake up calls in the book have been on this topic? Well, I think it's a combination of what we're seeing kind of culture wide, like every time we would watch the news or, you know, even in church world, kind of hear of some of these church heroes I've had that have that have fallen again on the surface, look, look like they were doing everything right. But behind the scenes, we're kind of carrying on this double life, specifically as it related to their relationship with women. And I just thought, man, this is this is a crisis. And then as my sons at the same time were really being faced with with questions because of what they were hearing at school or seeing at school and what they're just experiencing in their own mind and body is is growing kids who are wrestling with with feelings and temptations and all these different kinds of things. And so it really just kind of came to a head and I said I've I've got to I've got to help guide them through this and I'm not equipped right now with the answers that they need. And so it kind of put me on a path of really trying to research it myself, not knowing that it was going to become a a book. That just kind of came in the overflow of my message to the boys. That's so good, because I've heard that so many times that we should be ministering out of our overflow, which is exactly what this is for you. And I'm, I'm actually glad you brought up the story. I was kind of praying about whether or not to even ask you about the chapter you wrote, because it really, it, it touched me in a deep way, but also a disturbing way. But like, you know, when you get awareness just about the pastor you mentioned that that had the double life and you talked about that in one of your chapters and something that really jumped out to me. And I actually pulled a quote that you use. You said that whatever thoughts we allow to replay in our mind will eventually shape our actions. And so you were talking about the power of fantasies and why it's so important to take our thoughts captive. So can you, I guess, elaborate on that for our listeners about just how we teach our boys this really powerful concept? Yeah, for sure. I I think that what happens in our mind, it does, just like you said, it leads to our actions. And, and so much of the, the disrespect toward women and even beyond that, the sexual sin, it always begins in our mind. It doesn't begin in a in a bedroom somewhere. It always begins in our mind with those fantasies. And I think our world has fed us the false message, and there's so many false messages that the world is teaching us as it relates to sex. But one of them is that fantasy is totally harmless. And that even pornography is totally harmless. It's just a form of entertainment. 
and that's why a big part of the book is me tackling that head on of why porn is so toxic talking about that for my own personal sin struggle I had with porn for for years starting in early adolescence and from, I, I know I know from firsthand experience the damage that it does and then there's a lot of research that that I include with that I want my boys to know that that listen you know you're you're the air traffic controller of what happens in your head you know you can't control like what thoughts shoot through any more than you can control what airplanes might fly overhead but you get to control which thoughts land in your head and which ones have to take off and leave and as it relates to to lust you know young young guys are going to have they're going to be visually stimulated and they're going to have temptation sometimes you know constantly as they're growing up in this world where there's so much visual temptation around them i said but what you can do is you can make an, an intentional effort to put your eyes in another direction. You can make an intentional choice that when that thought starts coming into your mind that leads to, to a sinful sexual fantasy, you can say, no, that doesn't belong here, and I'm going to honor God with my thought life. And you can send that thought on its way, and you can let that be a trigger for you to, to, to pray and ask God for strength when you feel like you can't do it on your own. Because when you let those thoughts keep replaying in your mind, it will eventually lead you to, to action. It will eventually lead you to to a, a deeper sin. Sin is never satisfied. You know, it's it, it always wants more. And that's what happened to my former coworker who thought that his fantasy life was was something that he could just keep compartmentalized that would never, you know, kind of bleed over into his real life. But like sin always does, it, it's it's like a tumor that just metastasizes. You know, it, it, it never stays contained. And it led him to that, you know, horrible criminal act that really harmed the life of a young girl and, and an entire church. And so that's why I shared that story. And sadly, there are a lot of other stories like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, thank you for sharing that story. And, you know, I just think it is so important that more people speak out on this, but in a healthy way, in a way that has solutions and that is, you know, bringing it to the light so that we can, we can do things differently. And I'm curious, you know, as a mom, um, how we can, I, I, one thing, I have two girls also, and it's interesting to me, and my husband and I had recently had this conversation of girls struggle with body image and boys struggle with lust. And it's just interesting that, you know, basically girls have, girls struggle with wanting to be lusted after and boys struggle with lusting. You know, it's like that opposite thing happening. And my husband and I had this realization just in marriage, you know, so it's like when I don't want him to look at me because I don't feel comfortable in my skin, well, I'm now robbing him of something that he needs to express through his wife. And then, you know, vice versa, like I need that attention from him. So they obviously all have this innate thing in them because it was created for them to do this in marriage. But what do we do with it when there's, you know, me, my eight year old son, not that he's like majorly struggling or anything, but I already notice, you know, if a girl walks by with tiny little shorts on, he, he notices, he doesn't know why he notices, but he notices, you know, he's like, yeah. huh, that's interesting. I'm not sure why I'm drawn to look at that, but I'm drawn <laughs> to look at that. And so how do we help, like, practically speaking, as parents help them navigate these waters, especially now with cell phones and you know, all the, the shows and everything. I mean, just to have that open dialogue with them. I don't even know what my question is and all this, but really just how do we navigate it? Yeah, <laughs> well, it is. It's it's complicated and it's messy, especially, again, in the world they're growing up in where there there is more more visual temptation everywhere and more mixed messages they're hearing than, than any other time in history. And it, it does start young. You know, we when Connor, our, our now middle schooler, was seven years old, we were in a barbershop one time, and he 
picked up a magazine. I didn't really check out the magazines before we got there, so I just assumed they were all safe. But his eyes were as big as saucers, and he was just staring at this magazine. And I looked over, and he was reading a Maxim, which is a, a really provocative magazine that shows women in you know very kind of provocative poses. And so it led to that conversation. He didn't even know why he was drawn to it. He was just like, I just like looking at these ladies. And I said, well, buddy, you know, God's put that within you. We didn't try to shame him or make him feel like that there was something wrong with him. We celebrate the fact that God put in you a desire to recognize, you know, the, the beauty of a woman. I said, and that's because one day you're going to have a wife. And one day all of that, all of that desire is going to be for her said, but to just look at a woman's picture or a woman walking by and just to stare at her is actually really disrespectful to her. And it, it hurts you and it hurts God's feeling who made her and she's God's daughter to look at her just as an object. And so in age appropriate ways, I think kind of from really early on, we've got to be willing to engage in those conversations. You know, the, the talk about sex is people used to refer to. Have you had the talk with your parents? meant like a one-time, terribly awkward, everybody sweating, five-minute conversation about the birds and the bees and the logistics of it all. But really, I think it has to be the talks plural. It has to be mm. conversation after conversation of engaging with them right where they are about about what's happening in their mind, their body, their soul, about what's happening in the world around them, and just establishing that you are the safest place on earth for them to come to with their questions, their struggles, their secrets, whatever it might be, and to build that kind of trust with them. Because if they're not coming to you with those questions, I promise they're going somewhere. And and where they're going is usually going to be some some kid in a locker room or a school bus that doesn't have the right answers. So we we as parents have to have to be those the first point of conversation. Yeah. What are your thoughts on? Does it have to be so? Like with my son, does do all his conversations need to be with my husband, or can the mom also have those conversations with her son? No, I think I think that mom definitely has such a unique role in this. And that's why, you know, the, the book itself, it's a, it's about boys specifically, in part just because that's my only you know experience. I'll let I'll let the daughter's version be written by somebody that actually has daughters. But it's the book is written to both moms and dads. Part of why I wanted to to write it was to help moms really understand, okay, this is what's happening in your son's mind at 12 years old and at 14 years old. You know, this this is how he's seeing the world. This is the way that he's probably struggling right now, but can't maybe put into words yet. And here's how for you to be able as a mom, uh, as the most important woman in his life, to be able to engage with him and ask him the right questions and really be that first, first place where he learns uh, respect for a woman and friendship with a woman and healthy relationship with the woman. So yeah, that's one of my biggest desires with this book is that uh, the moms everywhere will be able to engage with their sons in, in new ways. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, one thought I've had is I am fortunate to be married to a man who he's training at my son to be a godly man, you know, and he's having these hard conversations. But then I think of like the single moms and I'm thinking, you know, if, if a single mom was listening today would she feel discouraged? You know, like, oh, I don't have that. My son doesn't have that kind of man in his life. So other than what you just mentioned right now about that, well, she can for sure speak into it. Do you, do you have anything else, any words of encouragement maybe you'd say to some single moms? Yeah. First off, uh, just thank you for what you're doing. I think it's, it's one of the hardest and noblest jobs on earth is to, is to kind of have to take on that double load uh, as a parent and be in the trenches without kind of without a partner there as backup. 
And so I really hope that this book and the message of it is a gift, you know, to, to single moms and to single dads for that matter. But that single mom that feels like I can't be that male role model, but what you can do is, is you can lead him in the right direction and lead the conversation and so many great places. And then beyond that, and, and the book kind of spells out a lot of different specific ways that you can have those conversations. Um, I also think that you're in a really unique place to kind of help him connect with some male mentors in his life. You know, you can be the gatekeeper that sort of puts the right men in his life, whether they're coaches or teachers or neighbors or uncles or, you know, you, you get to be the one to say, this is a man and I would like my son to learn something from him. And you can help steer your son in that direction. And out of your son's respect for you, you know, he's going to want to he's going to want to follow your lead when, when you make those kind of connections possible. So you've got all kinds of you're the most influential person in his life. And you've got so much more influence than you realize to help him become the man he was meant to be. Oh, I love how practical that is. And yeah, I just, I always like to bring out areas that I feel like the enemy could poke at people, you know, when they're listening, like, well, you're disqualified because, and so thank you for those words of life. Really, you just spoke over some people listening today. And one of the things I loved in your book also was you actually talked about how Jesus treated women. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite chapter in the whole book, Jesus, Respecter of Women. You know, I think in our in our world, one of the, the false messages about Christianity as a whole out there in the secular world sometimes is that people say, well, Christianity is just sexist. You know, the Christianity holds people, holds women down. And I think, well, you, you clearly haven't read the story of Jesus, the Gospels. He was the most revolutionary person, I believe, in the, in all of human history for lots of reasons, but he was also the most revolutionary person specifically in this area of elevating women. He lived in a culture in a time 2000 years ago where women were held down. They were, they were voiceless. They had no real rights and privileges. And I unpack some of that more culturally and historically in the book. And then Jesus comes along and on every page of the gospels, he is interacting with women, which just by itself was a taboo back then. He, he was healing women. He was using women as heroes or rather the heroines of his his stories and parables about what faith is supposed to look like. He was befriending women like Mary and Martha. He was treating women with with honor and with dignity. So he he was giving us that perfect example of how how to treat women in a time when most men looked at women with either lust, distrust or disgust. Jesus looked at women with respect and with dignity it really leaps off the page. You can tell even sometimes his disciples are surprised by the way that he is really empowering and elevating and respecting women. So Jesus is, he's that perfect role model for, for every part of life, but for this in particular, through the lens of of what the book's message is. Yeah. And, you know, you just mentioned too about that the secular world kind of can look at the Christian world and think that whole, the, the sexism stems from the Christian culture. Why, why do you think that we're putting out that vibe to the world? I think the world itself, the world is looking for any identity apart from Christ. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, you know, all of human history is a sad story of man looking for anything other than God to make him happy. And so the Christian message is a person has to be born again, you know, through faith in Jesus Christ, adopted into God's family. And then we follow God and we we realign our values, our beliefs, our whole world on what he says is the best plan for us. But the world wants to say your best plan can just be whatever you feel like you want it to be. You know, if you're 
a boy and want to be a girl, you can do that. You know, if you're, you know, married to someone and you're not feeling it anymore, then you, you, you can leave them and, you know, marry whoever you want or just stay single and sleep with whoever you want. And as Christians, we say, no, there, there is, there is a better way. There's a better way. And I think that our world doesn't want to hear there's an authority that's, that's above us as individuals. And so just that in itself, I think is part of the offense. I think another part is that the world is so confused around issues of gender and, and sex right now that masculinity itself is under attack and femininity is really under attack. And, and so part of the world's message is trying to er- erase any distinction between men and women, which is such, such a mistake. And I feel like women lose out as much or even more than men in that, in that charade because when a woman's taught you can't be feminine because that will somehow hold you back, uh, and men are taught you can't be masculine because that you know that that's wrong and that's been misused throughout history, then the the world, in their confusion, only celebrates masculine women and feminine men when they celebrate masculinity or femininity, which just shows kind of how how backwards we've gotten it. So again, that's a really long and probably convoluted answer, but I think that there is just a brokenness at the core in humanity, and apart from Christ. They're looking for all the wrong things to bring them contentment. And so when we say, you know, here's the way, here's the standard, they they tend to not like it. And they tend to misrepresent that message. Now, I, I loved that answer. And I really loved how you're exactly right. What the world celebrates, the opposite of, you know, the, the feminine man and the masculine woman. That is so true. And it, it th- makes me think about one of the chapters in your book. You talk about what it means to be a real man. So I almost feel like we're asking the wrong questions sometimes, you know, like what is masculinity? What is feminine? You know, like we're just kind of missing the point at times, but you don't have to go through, I think you listed seven ways how a boy becomes a man in the book. You don't have to go through all seven right now, but if there's any you want to highlight or or talk about right now, um, feel free to do that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You know, I I think um, the Bible does give us that roadmap, you know, boys are wondering what does it mean for me to be a man? And then the lack of a clear definition, they're kind of set up to the jails that we might call, you know, the toxic masculinity where they, you know, use women instead of protect women. I wanted to point back to just the biblical standard of, of what supposed to do, what a husband and father supposed to do. And there are lots of things, but at the core, I mean, it really comes first and foremost, because when you're following him, you're always headed in the right direction. And then working hard to, to protect and provide for those around you. It's about self-sacrifice. You know, the world's way says that, that a man should just get as much as he can from the people around him. God's way says, I want you to serve. I want you to, you know, love your wife the way that Christ loved his church, which was so honorable and so selfless and so courageous. And when we're willing to do those things, I mean, that's really the path to true manhood. It's not about how much facial hair you can grow. It's not about how much weight you can bench press. It's really about in how we love, protect and serve those around us. Oh, that's so good and so practical. And Ian, I remember when I was reading those, I was thinking, I bet... One of two things could happen, either when a man's reading this book or when his wife is reading it. It could be really tempting to read them and be like, oh, I'm failing in these areas. You know, even like you're trying to read it for your son and then you're thinking, well, I'm failing at this. Or a wife thinking, my husband, I wish he would act a little more like these things, you know. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, speaking maybe to somebody who does have that thought, what can they do? I mean, as you and I both know, 
God doesn't condemn, he convicts, right? And so right. what can they right. take those convictions and how can they maybe make some changes when they when the Holy Spirit highlights some of those areas that maybe they could be better role models in for their sons in? Yeah, I love how you said God doesn't doesn't condemn, he convicts. That's so true. Shame is really the devil's business. So, you know, if you're ever feeling shamed or devalued or worthless, that's not from the Holy Spirit. That that's the enemy whispering lies to you. But conviction, you know, like like you just said, Rachel, is sometimes from God. That's God's voice saying, like, you know, you you can I, I want you to experience fullness in me. I want you to experience that full and abundant life and for you to be able to share that with your family and those around you. And there are certain things you're doing or not doing that are holding you back from that full and abundant life of fully knowing me and fully experiencing all that I have for you. And so if, if you're reading something on that list of, you know, what's a, it's, what's a man to do and you think, man, I'm blowing it, you know, let that be a turning point where you make the decision. I want to intentionally start improving in these areas. If you're reading it as a wife and you're like, man, my, my husband is really blowing it. Then, you know, delicately, I would say continue to encourage him in that in that area criticism in itself is is not going to be what triggers him on it'll probably just discourage you more but if you will call out the good in him if you'll call out even as small as it is maybe right now those areas where he's he's even a little bit on the right path in in, in that specific area celebrate that and tell him how close you feel to him when he is he is doing whatever that specific thing is and as you celebrate it, I think that that's going to really encourage him to want to do it more and more. And so we have the power to encourage, spur each other on to good deeds, to encourage each other. Criticism is not a spiritual gift in the Bible, but encouragement is and prayer is. And so start by encouraging each other and praying for each other. I'm glad you said that criticism is not a spiritual gift because I think, not naming names, I'm, I'm probably guilty too, that some Christians are tempted to say discernment <laughs> is the same thing as criticism. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I love that. I know speaking as a wife, I can definitely relate to that, you know, nagging never gets anywhere, but definitely praying about it. And then what, what I love about praying for my husband is usually the Holy Spirit's like, all right, I'll work on him. But first, let's talk about you, you know, and uh, yeah. deal with the own stuff in your heart. And then and then then he'll move on and deal with both of us at the same time. So that's super fun to partner with him in that way. And uh, another question I have for you in relation to our husbands, I know there's a lot of women who listen to my podcast. And I'm just curious from a man's perspective, if you could help um, some of the women listening to better understand their husband's sexual needs. Yes. Yeah. And this is, uh, you know, this is huge. God wired us up completely differently in the way that we view sex. And of course, in the work Ashley and I do, you know, we talk to couples all the time and we're, we do a lot of research on this, both biblically and in terms of like the psychological and biological and neuroscience parts of it. For most men, most men would list sex as their number one or number two need in in all of marriage, like in everything. And for most women, that need is not in their top five. And that's not always the case. It's about 80% of the time. So in about 20% of the of the cases, the wife will actually have the stronger uh, sex drive than the man. But for four out of five couples, the man has a stronger drive. And it's usually a very significantly stronger drive. He feels closest to his wife when that need is being met. And he feels, he feels honestly, there's a link between sex and respect even. Men's need for respect is near the top of the list. 
And what we found is that when a, the sexual need is not being met, he also feels disrespected. So it's kind of two big needs not happening at once. And so we, we just try to help encourage couples to meet each other's needs by serving one another. And a lot of times when that need's not being met for the husband, it, it's this cycle where he's not being loving to his wife because, you know, he's frustrated or he's, you know, whatever. And so he's responding in the wrong way. And that's making her feel not loved and not adored, which is near the top of the list for most wives. And so she wants to pull away. You know, it's not natural for a wife to feel like making love to a guy who's not loving and adoring her. And so it just creates this this vicious cycle. And we just try to call couples to be the one. You be the one to go first. You know, whether you're the husband or, or the wife, go first by meeting your spouse's need, even when your need isn't being met the way that you want it to be. And by you be, being willing to go first, as a servant, the way that, that Christ calls us to, you've got the power to put your marriage back on the right track. Yeah. And how would you define needs being met? Like, is that a personal conversation that each couple needs to just have with each other saying, hey, husband, what is what is your sex needs being met actually look like for you and vice versa? Yeah, I think it's I think it is that that conversation. And I think an even better question is what does it mean for you need to be met is like, what does it mean for your your needs to be like far exceeded? Mm. And not, not just in this area of sex, but in everything. So if your wife has a need for quality time with you or for intimate conversation with you, husband say like, what, what, does it need, what does it mean for that need to be like far exceeded? Not me just with like a timer on where you said you want 15 minutes a day and I'm like looking at my phone with a 15 minute timer just trying to get through the conversation. But to say like, I want to be available to you and give you my best energy and best attention all the time. I want to rearrange my calendar, my hobbies, my career to let you know that your place in my schedule is always the first priority, even if I'm pruning away other things that I enjoy because they're becoming a distraction to that need being met. And when your wife sees that you're cherishing her and pursuing her and wanting to meet and exceed all of her needs and pursue her with your best energies, then, then typically, you know, she'll, she'll want to reciprocate and she'll want to pursue you with her best energies and she'll want to exceed your needs. But when we look at marriage, just like this transactional relationship where it's like, how can I give as little as I can and get as much as I can? We're really missing the whole point of what marriage is. Okay. I, I personally am experiencing a conviction moment here listening to you because I love that you rephrased instead of asking them, how can your needs be met, exceeded? Because can you imagine how many of us would go into, if you have a boss or somebody and be like, hey, what's the minimum I need to get by to stay on payroll here? You know, like <laughs> right. we would never right. do that because we know that boss would be like, um, you're gone, right? Or or you're just definitely not going to have a great working relationship. Yet we do this so often in our marriage. We want to do the minimum to get by, you know, and like, why would we do that? So I love that you rephrased it that way. That's so powerful. Okay, so before we hop off, gosh, I just have so many questions I didn't even get to with you, but we'll, maybe we'll have to do a replay. I told, I told Ashley the same thing. Maybe what we should do is bring both of you back on at the same yes. time. I think Let's do that. I think that's what that... we'll do. Because <laughs> I'm like looking at my list. I'm like, yeah, I've got a lot of questions and a lot of them are marriage related. So we'll bring you guys back on. But before we hop off, let's go back to this to your current book. And just, I just want to give you a chance. Is there anything else about the book that you just like would want the takeaway message for it to be for the reader that you'd like them to know? I think the real takeaway message is that, that we as parents, we have an opportunity to either help our sons 
be set up for a lifetime of blessing in their relationships or to potentially set our sons up for a lifetime of extra baggage in their relationships by how we're helping them navigate the waters of, of these important conversations around relationships, respect, sex, manhood, pornography. We've got to be willing to go there. And I know some of those conversations can seem scary and intimidating. And so this book is designed to just help be a guide. I mean, again, so much research went in there, so many so many interactions with with mentors who are farther down the road who have done this right and have kids who are grown up and are now you know healthy and in healthy relationships. And so this book can help take away some of the scary out of those conversations and not only help your son be prepared for success, I really believe that it'll bring you and your sons closer together. And so that's that's part of my desire is that after you read this book and the conversations that happen as a result, you say, I, I'm a, I'm a closer, I'm closer with my son now than I've ever been. And that's, that's a gift for both you and for your son. Yeah. And their future spouse. They'll, yes, thank, they'll thank sure. us for sure. So, wow, this has been so good. Thank you for your insight. Definitely those of you listening, you seem to get the book. I mean, a podcast interview can never do these kinds of books justice. So you seem to go grab it. Dave, where's the best place that people can connect with you online if they want to dig into more of your resources? Yeah, thank you. My wife Ashley and I have a lot together, especially in the marriage space. So you can find Dave and Ashley Willis on Instagram. We have individual pages on Facebook as well as our shared marriage page. And you can also check out the Naked Marriage podcast, which you know we have a new episode every week. And uh, so feel free to reach out to us online and we'd be happy to interact with you and try to answer your questions there. And so, yeah, thank, and thank you, Rachel, again, for what you're doing. And for letting me have this conversation with you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. As a mom of both a boy and girls, I felt this conversation with Dave was needed in our society. And I hope that you'll share it with a friend who might need to listen in as well. And hey, thank you to those of you who have left reviews for the show on Apple Podcasts and for sharing about the show on social media. Be sure to tag me at Rachel J. Gilbert so I can share it and send some people your way as well. And don't forget to take advantage of that special 10% offer to Cultivate What Matters. That link is in today's show notes. And to stay in the loop on show giveaways and other special offers, you can text the phrase Real Talk Giveaway to the number 44222 on your cell phone. All right, friends, that's all we have for today. I pray this episode brought you one step closer to getting real, living free, and pursuing those God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.